There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. When we hear these stories, we often think of how the families of the victims are affected by the tragedy that was forced into their lives. But do we ever stop and think about the families of the cold-blooded killers? On June 27, 1951, Queensland's first and most notorious convicted serial killer was born. And though this is a story of his crimes, it centers around the way he affected another innocent girl who was touched by the dark decisions of a man who was supposed to love her, his own young daughter. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Leonard John Fraser was born on June 27, 1951, in Ingham, Queensland. Leonard started earning a criminal record at just 15 years old when he stole a gearbox from a parked car. And that same year, was sent to a boys' home where he was sodomized by the older boys and did the same to the younger boys. And this soon escalated into things like assault, driving under the influence, drugs, alcohol, street fighting, stalking, rape, and general aggression some of which he served small jail stints for. Between 1982 and 1985, when Leonard was in his early 30s, he met a 26-year-old single mother named Pearl, and together, in addition to the 9-year-old son Pearl had with a previous partner, the pair welcomed a baby girl named Missy Rigby. Missy would be Leonard's first and only child, and Pearl his longest relationship, lasting a little less than two years. Though he was known to have that pretty extensive criminal record before his relationship with Pearl, the pair moved to McKay in North Queensland, where fatherhood seemed to calm Leonard down, if only for a moment. And according to the stories, Leonard held down two full-time jobs with the Queensland Railway as a ganger, the head of a group of laborers. When Missy was just two years old, she watched the relationship between her mother and father crumble completely after a random knock came to the door and her whole world was changed. At the door were two detectives who were asking to speak to Leonard about a local woman who, just days before, was brutally raped on a beach at Shoal Point. It was then that Pearl learned that the man whom she had started a family with was actually a former pimp who was on parole for a series of rapes in New South Wales and had been released after serving only seven years of a 21-year sentence. A man whose prison psychiatrist had already deemed him an untreatable psychopath, which is the information police had learned while trying to solve the rape of a woman named Lisa, and the reason they were at the door questioning him. In October of 1985, Leonard Fraser was found guilty of Lisa's rape and jailed for 12 years, at which point, Pearl ended their relationship, and two-year-old Missy lost contact with her father. Throughout her life, Missy thought that the man whom her mother started dating after Leonard was jailed was her real father, a kind man who treated her as any father should. It wasn't until she was about six years old that she started to realize that there was more to her family's story. That's when she started to visit her father at Rockhampton's Etna Creek Jail, though Missy's childhood brain didn't think of the place as a prison. She and her grandmother, a woman who thought Missy needed to know her real father, would catch the prison-provided bus and visit a man who, though she knew to call him dad, didn't put two and two together and realize that he was her dad. Then, when she reached 11 years old, 
she realized that enough was enough and demanded to know the secrets that her mother was keeping from her, who the man behind bars really was, and why her father was sent away when she was just a toddler. When her mother finally told her the truth, Missy broke down. A victim of sexual abuse herself, she could not fathom forgiving the man who fathered her and decided to cut off all contact with the man who she didn't see again until his release from prison in 1997 after serving his 12 years. Despite the fact that prison psychologists warned he would absolutely reoffend again and more than likely kill this time. One morning while walking to school with some friends, she was stopped by a newly freed Leonard Frazier who pulled her into an embrace and told her that he could not stay long because he had to, quote, keep moving. Terrified, the high schooler ran away from her father and hoped she would never have to see him again. And she wouldn't, at least not until 1999 when he came to stay with her and her foster father. But more on that in a minute. Shortly after being released, Leonard met up with Marie Shivers, a terminally ill woman who became his pen pal while in prison, a cancer patient whom he locked in a hospital chapel in Brisbane and brutally raped and who died later that same year. From 1997 to 1998, Leonard Fraser lived in Mount Morgan and, during that time, raped up to 16 females before local vigilantes ran him out of the town and he resettled in Rockhampton and, in mid-1998, moved in with a woman named Chrissy Wright, who he beat, demanded sex constantly from, and tortured as well as had sex with animals, and that same year raped a mentally ill girl. Leonard was clearly escalating, just like the psychologist said, and in December of 1998, the Rockhampton rapist took his first life. On December 28, 1998, just days before the new year, Leonard Frazier raped, killed, and decapitated a 39-year-old woman named Julie Dawn Turner. Almost exactly three months later, he met up with 36-year-old Beverly Doreen Lego at a hostel he was staying in, and the woman was never seen again. Around this time, Leonard knocked on the door of Missy's foster father and asked if he could stay. Of course, her foster father asked if that was okay, and Missy, despite being told her entire life to never be alone, live with, or trust her biological father, agreed, later saying, I thought, I am going to face the devil, and I'm going to let him stay. After a few days, Leonard said he had to go back to Rockhampton and asked if Missy would go with him. She immediately told him no, and Leonard, furious, locked himself in a room for a few hours to calm down. She had no idea that the man she had just angered was a man who had already killed two vulnerable Rockhampton women. Thankfully, it seemed as though his volcanic temper was reserved for the women he did not know and not his young daughter. And after three days in Deception Bay with Missy, he left and returned to Queensland City. The next month, April 17th or 18th, 1999, Leonard Frazier met, raped, and beat to death a 19-year-old girl named Sylvia Benetti in a Rockhampton hotel. About 10 days later, police would enter the hotel room to find a bloodbath. And just four days after Sylvia's death, he abducted, raped, and slit the throat of a nine-year-old schoolgirl named Kira Steinhardt as she walked to school in broad daylight on April 22nd, 1999. This was only the second time that she had been allowed to walk to school on her own, and she was dumped in a bushland on the outskirts of town. It seemed like out of nowhere, Leonard had escalated and was killing at a terrifying rate, and later, when his crimes finally came to light, Missy would blame herself in part for Kira's murder. 
saying that her refusal to move in with him was the final blow for a man on the edge. That if she had moved in with him, she believed Kira might still be alive. When the young girl was reported missing, hundreds of volunteers scoured the area looking for her. They looked in every park, every waterway, and in the bush, but failed to return with her body. But what they did get were some viable leads that sent them straight to Leonard Fraser's doorstep. It wasn't a massive leap to name Leonard as a suspect. With his long criminal record, lengthy prison sentences, and a history of raping young women, it was easy to believe that he may be responsible for Kira's disappearance. So when they searched his personal belongings and his car, they weren't surprised when they found a number of trophies for not just Kira's murder, but the murders and attacks of several women in the Rockhampton area. Most damning, though, was the blood found in the trunk of his car that, when tested, matched Kira's, forcing Leonard to fess up and lead investigators to her final resting place after two weeks of intense interrogation. But probably the most disturbing thing found were three ponytails of human hair, despite being run through Australian and U.S. missing persons records, was not matched to any of his known victims or to any other missing or murdered women. On May 7, 1999, Leonard Fraser was charged with the rape and murder of Kira Steinhardt. And on November 9, 2007, he was found guilty and sentenced to an indefinite life sentence. Though he admitted to the abduction and murder of Kira Steinhardt, Leonard remained tight-lipped about his other victims. Though he was a bit more chatty with a fellow inmate turned police informant. But knowing how prison general pop treats child rapists and killers, Leonard was desperate to be placed somewhere more safe. So he made a deal with the prosecution that, in exchange for being placed in protective custody, he would confess to the murders of Sylvia Benetti, Beverly Lego, and the manslaughter of Julie Turner. He also claimed that he murdered a hitchhiker named Sandy Lawrence in an abandoned crocodile zoo in 1982, his 17-year-old Aboriginal girlfriend in King's Cross in the early 1970s, two more hitchhikers in New South Wales in the 1970s, and the abduction and murder of a teenager named Natasha Ryan. So to secure his protective custody, Leonard set out to prove some of the claims he was making. He led police to Julie Turner's final resting place, where all but her head was found, a story a jury heard when he faced five additional murder charges. Then something shocking happened. On April 10th, 2003, while his trial was underway at the Brisbane Supreme Court, police raided a property after getting an anonymous call that claimed Natasha Ryan is alive and well. 14-year-old Natasha Ryan, who Leonard Frazier claimed he had murdered and was in the middle of standing trial for. Natasha vanished on August 31st, 1998, and was last seen alive outside of a movie theater smoking a cigarette and talking to an older man. Witnesses claimed to hear screeching tires before the girl seemingly disappeared into thin air, and a large-scale search and investigation began, totaling about $400,000 and hit nothing but dead ends. Eventually, police considered Natasha was no longer missing, but that she had been actually killed by an unknown suspect. And when Leonard confessed to her murder, it seemed like the case was finally solved. Her family even held a memorial on what would have been her 17th birthday. But then the anonymous call came in, and the police entered a home being rented by a milkman named Scott Black. Inside of that home was a now 18-year-old Natasha Ryan. According to the story, the couple began dating when Natasha was 14 and Scott was 21. 
that they staged her abduction and had been living in isolation for years to maintain the narrative that Natasha was dead. They moved in the cover of night, rarely left their home, and stayed out of trouble for four and a half years while Natasha's family assumed their girl was long gone. In fact, the house that was raided was just a few blocks from Natasha's parents' home, and they were none the wiser. She said that at some point in her disappearance, she wanted to reunite with her mother, but the lie had gotten too big, and she felt that she had to see the whole thing through. Despite this shocking revelation and the obvious inconsistencies, Leonard's case continued and there was no filing for a mistrial. Nor did his defense object when the prosecution used the same confession made in custody, which included the Natasha Ryan confession, and claims that Leonard could draw a map to where Natasha's body was hidden. On May 9th, 2003, Leonard Frazier was convicted of three murders and one manslaughter. The following month, he was given three additional indefinite life terms in prison, where he remained until January 1st, 2007, when he died of a heart attack. Some detectives are convinced that Leonard was responsible for other murders, like that of Rockhampton woman Michelle Coral Lewis, who disappeared in January of 1989 when she was just 21 years old, and whoever the three ponytails belonged to. The truth is we may never know how many victims died at the hands of this dangerous man, but we do know one victim that has to live in his shadow for the rest of her life, Missy Rigby. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on June 28th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>